Thank you for listening to Israel Rebound. Liz and I had such a great time talking with Dan Bleicher that we decided to break it up into two segments. Listen now to segment one and tune in next week for segment two. Thank you again for listening to Israel Rebound. Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Jews and others in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in Omaha, and I'm joined with my co-host, Liz Felstron in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you today? I'm great, Alan. Thanks for asking. How are you? Great. I'm great. We have a guest today, a former Omahan, Dan Bleicher, uh, who I've met several times in Israel. And I felt that uh, it was time for us to bring on somebody else from our connection and have a conversation. So, Dan, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me today. So I'm going to just gonna ask a quick open-ended question. How is it that you left Nebraska for Israel? Uh, it's it's an indirect uh, story. Uh, I left Omaha in 1969 uh, to go for my bachelor's degree at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, and why Cincinnati? That also has an Omaha connection because at the time, uh, I was I, I was trained as a musician as as a, as a kid. I always uh, played the the organ and was interested in in music. And so it was Cantor um, Manfred Kuttner, who you probably remember from Temple Israel, was a kind of a mentor for me because he was before he was a cantor, he was a musician and uh, a musician that, that uh, escaped Germany from Frankfurt. And he took me under his arm and he said, well, why don't you go to Cincinnati to study music? You've got the Hebrew Union College. You've got, you know, a good Jewish organization over there. And uh, you've got a wonderful conservatory of music. Go to Cincinnati. So thanks to Temple Israel and Cantor Kuttner, I went off to Cincinnati for four years and got my degree in music, my first degree. And at the end of the four years, I said, well, you know, I I, want to learn more Hebrew and I want to expand music. And so why don't I go to Hebrew Union College as a student and not as I, when I served in Cincinnati, I was the organist and music director under Nelson Glick at the time who was still alive. And so anyway, so I, I applied for the rabbinate, the reform rabbinate, the reform seminary is the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. And uh, I was accepted uh, and off to Israel I went as a student. I don't come from a Zionist background. I never, I didn't know where Israel was. I wasn't, didn't mean much to me or anything like that. And here I was, a a young Nebraskan uh, coming uh, with my suitcase in 1973, uh, coming to the airport at Lod, took a, take a a shirut, a, a jitney taxi to Jerusalem. I had no idea where to go. None. And I told the driver, well, just take me to a cheap youth hostel to spend the night. I was exhausted. That was my first day, my first night in Israel. And uh, and I became a student at HUC. But obviously, my my urge was less for the rabbinate, but more for music and, and expanding and spanning Hebrew and all of that. So I took part. I finished the program for the first year. But already halfway through my first year, I began organizing the music for the Hebrew Union College in Jerusalem on King David Street. Uh, and so that was my introduction to music. And, and within that 
short period of time of one year, uh, I had joined the Academy Choir, uh, the Rubin Academy Choir on Smolinskin Street, which is just next to the Prime Minister's residence. And uh, I joined the choir and I became a part more of, uh, I, I began to meet Israelis more. And I, and I didn't stay in any dormitory. I moved into, I shared an apartment with a, a, a woman who was also kind of Israeli at the time and so on and so forth. So it started all in 1973. I never came on Aliyah. I never came as a Zionist. I came, I liked it, and I stayed after uh, 48 years, I'm still here and have no intentions of leaving. That's incredible. Um, 73, so you were there in the Yom Kippur War? We, yeah, I, I arrived in June. The war was in uh, is Yom Kippur War, uh, which is a few months later. Uh, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I was naive, uh, very naive, but uh, the, being through HUC, uh, they organized the, the student body there. There was no classes. They organized the student body to go out and volunteer. And so I took part in the volunteer activities and uh, just went through the war, understanding what I understood, which was not very much at the time. I did have, I guess, no, no, no. I had Israeli friends already, but again, I still didn't quite understand, you know, all the, the, the depth and the meaning of what was going on. I knew it was bad. Uh, but aside from that, I just pushed my way through and helped who I could on the way. And so not being a Zionist, um, Israel is a very difficult place to, to live. What, what kept you motivated and connected in wanting to stay in Israel, where so many other places in the world were much easier to live? It wasn't difficult to live here. You have to understand that Israel was a different country in 1973 than it is today. Your perception of contemporary Israel and Israel of the past uh, 10, uh, 15, even 20 years is quite different than what it was back in 73. I was fortunate to know uh, Israel before the Yom Kippur War and, and, and a few other wars when uh, we used to spend the uh, um, Fridays and Saturdays on Rehob Salah Hadin and in, in Bethlehem and places like this, East Jerusalem. Uh, and in the in the Arab, we, we, we just felt freely able to, to move and to mix and, and to be a part of, of the fabric of a greater Israeli society. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about, you know, Arab problems at the time. I, I, it just wasn't part of our vocabulary. We went and we had a good time. And, and I was young. I was 23 years old at the time. And, uh, and life was before me. And uh, I was having the time of my life. So... Uh, at the end of the one year, you were supposed to, according to HUC, is a five program, a five-year program. And uh, at the end of the first year, I went to Ezra Spicehandler, who was the the dean of the, of the Jerusalem School, and I said, "Look, I want to spend I want to spend another year to expand my Hebrew." Well, looking back, uh, all those years, that was kind of a bluff because uh, uh, no, because I, I took over their music program. Uh, completely and established a choir over there and a music program, which was very successful. I, the, the, I mean, at the time they were having services on on uh, Fridays uh, on on on, Sh on Shabbat mornings, and uh, it was very very successful. And and uh, how did I integrate? Um, because I was an organist at the YMCA. I don't know if you know Jerusalem, but the YMCA is just up the street from HUC. And in the YMCA auditorium is a pipe organ, which at the time was the largest pipe organ in the entire Middle East, which I kind of discovered by people mentioning to me. And so I went and discovered.
discovered that uh, that with along with a bunch of other friends, and we started restoring it at night during the the wee hours of the night. But it didn't stop there. Across the street is the King David Hotel, where I would because I'm a musician. I took some friends, and we used to do gig work on the on the big patio overlooking the old city. So the generals would come in there for coffee in the afternoon, and uh, Henry Kissinger and the rest of them. And I was doing gig work. Uh, playing a piano and accompanying a flautist or accompanying a singers or whatever on on the porch. So uh, I uh, they used to call me the guy with the keys to King David Street because I had the the HUC, the YMCA, and the and the and the King David keys in my pocket. So that's that's where I got integrated. Okay, that's, I mean that's that's just that's, the start. That's incredible, Liz. You have any questions for Dan? Because I could go on for a long time. Yeah, I love uh, how many pieces of history this story has already uh, touched upon. I am, I think, you know, Dan, you sort of hinted at the fact that you feel like there has been a change in Israel from when you first came to a more modern Israel 10, 20 plus years ago, um, and that Israel was easier place perhaps to live in than, than it is now. Can you just share a little bit more about what you mean by that? What what is this change, and is is that in fact what you meant that there's something today that is more difficult? Well, there's all kinds of things. Part of it's also my maturity. Uh, after forty years, be uh, forty or fifty years, I, I begin to understand the the finer nuances of of uh, life in Israel, the polarization. Uh, Israel, as I also see in the United States, is polarized into all kinds of groups. You have the Sephardi and the Ashkenazim. You've got the rich and you've got the poor. You've got the, the, the immigrants, those who want to welcome immigrants to our ports. I'm talking about South Tel Aviv, uh, not immigrants, um, asylum seekers, asylum seekers, asylum mm-hmm. seekers who, who Israel is kind of welcoming. And, and But there's a whole bunch of people that says, get, get rid of them. We have enough problems of our own. And, uh, and so, you know, with age, you, you begin to see a polarization, which is not good. There, there's, uh, it, I'm comfortable, I'm very comfortable, okay? Maybe I'm too comfortable here uh, because there's a big portion of the population which is struggling. I live in, in a good neighborhood in Tel Aviv and I lived in a good neighborhood in Jerusalem, but I worked hard to, to, to get there. But uh, this, is, this is a change coming about in Israel. The, the, uh, the religious, non-religious, you see is even more so in, in, in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is, is a um, secular city. Uh, when we left Jerusalem, we left Jerusalem in 2013, okay? Um, I was frustrated also. I, I didn't like what was going on. I didn't like the local politics in Jerusalem. Uh, I came to, to Jerusalem under Teddy Kalik, Okay. Ever since Kalik left left office or and, and, and died, eventually it's it's been going downhill. He built Jerusalem. Teddy Kalik is responsible for the contemporary Jerusalem that you know today, uh, and it, it it I just don't like what's going on. I don't like the the behavior of uh, of the of the Orthodox. I don't I, I don't like the way uh, that there's um, the don't allow for pluralistic Judaism. I mean, uh, I mean, I over the years, around 1981, I I I, I stopped all my connection uh, with uh, with the reform movement at the time. Um, I, I because of their old their internal politics, but um, things have gotten worse. I mean, there's the the, the uh, 
you watch Israeli politics on television, you read in the newspapers that the, the ultra-Orthodox will not recognize other Jews, okay? Other Jews. And, and uh, it's, it's, this is not, this is, it doesn't have a place in Israel. There, there, there is no place. A Jew is a Jew, okay? Easier for you, you understand you're Americans or have American backgrounds, okay? You have grown up with the three uh, major branches of Judaism, and you've grown up among uh, Christians and other faiths, and, and you can accept that. It's, it's, it's not a problem. Over here, it's a severe problem, a very severe problem. And it goes all the way up to the top, all the way to the Knesset, where in the previous government under, under Bibi Netanyahu, where he had giving favors out for, for votes from ultra-Orthodox, ultra, ultra and we're paying the price for it today. The whole business of, of funding yeshivas and having, a, a, you have a, a Sephardic school program, you've got a, a Ashkenazic school program, you've got, a, come on, get out and join the army, get out and get a job. And, and work like everybody else. Contribute to the public uh, to the public uh, coffers. Pay pay in. Pay your taxes and work. Get a job. Go ahead. You know, Dan, uh, I'm sort of uh, smiling to myself because I think about how you described yourself in your early days in Israel as naive and maybe not being totally aware of political things that were going on. It certainly seems that that has changed, right? Because I think you've managed to hit on some of the major issues in Israel today, just, you know, off the cuff in your comments. So certainly now, you know, very aware and uh, and in touch with what I would say are, are the main topics that Israelis are thinking about. Um, to sort of take a, a different direction, I wondered if you would share with us a little bit about how you have family in Nebraska, and yes. obviously, and, and, and friends and acquaintances. Right. Um, would you talk to us a little bit about maybe how those back at home reacted to your decision to st- to go to Israel in the first place, to stay in Israel? Has that changed as the years have gone on? Well, I, I remember my mother. She says, you know, come home already, come home already, come home already. But she finally gave up also. My brothers didn't really make an issue about it. They just, you know, that's where I chose to live. And it was not a, a subject of, uh, you know, of, of worry. No, nobody worries about it. We have, uh, when was it, six months ago, we were having uh, missiles fall uh, all over Tel Aviv and all over the South. Yeah, less in May. We wish it was six months ago. It's very soon. When was it? I can't remember anymore. May, May. It was May, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, 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 I just got a, a WhatsApp, so I'm ignoring it. Um, so... You know, it, it's but no one ever worries about me. No one asks. I mean, when there's a hurricane or when there's a tornado in Omaha, I'm the first guy to write an email is everybody okay? Okay, that's Israeli, by the way. There was an earthquake. I, I've got a, a nephew living in 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 uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Okay, there was an earthquake. I read on the morning news. I'm up early at five a.m. This is the first thing I do is write a letter. Why? It's 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 very Israeli to ask how are you getting along. Okay, that's it's already built into me. But when there's missiles falling on Tel Aviv or on other places in a far greater quantity, no one ever asks really how you're getting along. No one calls. No one does anything. That's that that that's that's reality. So that's a di- so that's yeah. a that's a disconnect that I think that Liz and I are trying to bridge with people not having a clear identity of what it is Israel is about to American Jews. And I feel that American Jews or or even just people in general are not 
interested so much in Israel today. And part of that is how it's become politicized in America. So we have learned through the past several years that people under 40 are less interested in Israel today than we were in the past, or at least I was. Um, I, I, I need to just call up, kind of follow up a little bit on that. So has your family visited you in Israel? Do you feel like you're a part of the greater biker family? Everybody has been to Israel at least once, except for my little sister, Becky. Okay, I've, I've offered, a, a, for whatever reasons, I said, Becky, I'll pay for your trip. I'll give you housing. I'll give you a car. I'll give you whatever you want. Just come to Israel, come and visit. As some of you may know, uh, Becky, she, she was into organic farming. And I said, well, come on, I'll make you a special tour of all the organic farms in Israel. She's the only Bleicher of my family who has never been to Israel. Everybody else has been here um, at least once and some for some many, many times have, uh, have been and come and visited. So that's that's important. That's important. So, uh, but that, I mean, the, the Omaha community just this morning here, I'll give you another example of how Omaha is, Omaha is, is, is rings a bell with Israelis and why? Because of Warren, of course. But just this morning, uh, I, I was at a um, committee, house committee meeting, I guess they call that, uh, would you call that Liz? Uh, uh, a building committee? Vada Byte. Yeah, building committee. A building committee. The, for, for the building, which I'm in, I volunteer on two building committees and, and other volunteer work. And just this morning, I said, well, I've got an interview in Omaha uh, from, from the Jewish Federation of Omaha. And and uh, uh, this afternoon, I said, Omaha, wow. You know, that, that, that just, it just, they all lit up around the table. And uh, and Omaha means something. It means it's, it's, it's a thing. But I want to go back to to what uh, I was saying previously with with, uh, with Liz uh, is that the uh, Hasbara, the way Israel describes her problems to the uh, to the diaspora is poor. Okay, it's a fail. Israel does not give you the right information to the right people and gets the. It, it's completely messed up. It's completely messed up the way we run our wars, the way we run our politics. It's wrong. And so you ask about the confusion among the old, uh, the Jewish communities of, of Omaha and the United States per se. It's because we're doing a lousy job and have done a lousy job of explaining what our situation is over here. And, and why? Well, part of it simply it's not clear. Nobody and not even the, the locals know what's going on around here, uh, as you as you well know, and we live every day. But it's still we're not. And the support of the under 40 group that, that Alan refers to is I can I can fully understand that. You have to have something to appeal to them. And, and the question is we have a lot to appeal to, to the under 40 crowd. But the question is, how is it presented? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. So several years ago, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs realized that a little late and talked about putting lots of money into rebranding that relationship between Israel and, and uh, the diaspora communities, it just hasn't gone anywhere. And I think that uh, to your point, and I agree as a person who's been advocating for Israel for over 40 years, uh, it just doesn't get any easier. And the success that Israel has had economically uh, over the years, you would think that there'd be much more of an opportunity to share the successes that Israel has had, but Part politics. 
Part of that, Alan, is also the fractioning that I mentioned earlier about the, the even the, the the Orthodox and everybody else. In other words, there's a religious Israel and there's a non-religious Israel, and uh, and who that appeals to in the United States per se is is it's quite a, a different ballgame. I mean, the religious there there's a plane after plane after plane of of yeshiva boys who come over here to study. Because they're very well organized and they're very well, it's a well-greased system. Okay, they also have the the programs for bringing the youth over to Israel, which is um, sometimes works. I don't know how well it works. I don't have the figures on uh, all these missions to to Israel. How many, you know, it's a big party for for a lot of the kids and how much it really rubs off on on, on the kids. How many actually stay? How many actually go home and, and really care what's what's going on? But it all boils down to the same thing: how you present it. It's just it's just marketing, and and uh, how you present Israel uh, abroad to to the American uh, to American people. One of the things to talk about this is um, the the uh, missionaries. Uh, and this uh, who is this guy who died recently? This rabbi, uh, and there was a, a movie uh, uh, made about him who who goes and and goes to the. Uh, uh, not to the missionaries, the evangelists uh, in the southern United States. Oh, and, you're talking about Yechiel Eckstein. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he goes snoring for money, and he presents a certain kind of thing, which is very, very nice and interesting, uh, perhaps for that that kind of thing. And he's successful. He, I mean, he's dead now. His wife has taken over. He was hugely successful, okay? And uh, uh, But that's really got the Israelis worried because these people – as interpreted on my side, is they, the, the sooner there's a destruction of the Israel, the, the sooner the Messiah shows up at the door. Okay, that that's what that's what the, that's what evan- that's the way we interpret evangelistic uh, Americans. Okay, so they pour lots of money in, but the sooner this country is is uh, goes up in flames, uh, the, the happier they are because their Messiah is going to be on the way. So this is a problem. Go ahead. Well, so Dan, you broach a whole nother topic. And I just want to note that when we post this uh, episode of the podcast, Alan and I can put in the notes for people to see the recent documentary that was done about uh, the movement and organization that you're talking about, the International right. Fellowship of right. Christians right. and Jews, that, uh, that if people aren't familiar with, you know, what you've talked about here, that will give them a lot more background Please, and understanding. I did not, yeah, I did not see that document, a documentary. I will send but it I to you as well then. It's it's pretty recent within the past year and a half. You've been listening to Israel Rebound. Please join us next week for part two of the interview with Dan Bleicher. Again, thank you for listening to Israel Rebound.